0: Psalm 1 is the gateway to all the psalms, and so we, even though it's very brief, only six uh, short verses, uh, it, it opens the door for the, for the 150 psalms that gives the themes that are there. Uh, how many of you, uh, let me ask you to respond, how many of you uh, read the psalms uh, pretty regularly? Are there any? Maybe not all of them, but... Uh, do you you find that that's one of the main books of the Bible that you read? If so, will you raise your hand? Yeah, it's the proportion not as high as in the first service. I don't know what that says. Maybe y'all don't read the Bible at all. Is that what that said? No. no. Um, I was going to conclude with this, but as I was sitting up here earlier, I was I was thinking this would be better at the beginning of the sermon. Let me read you this comment by Gerald Wilson. He wrote one of the articles for the the New International Application Commentary on the Psalms. He says this about the Psalms. The Psalms can and should be part of the constant practice of the presence of God. Regularly reading from beginning to end, they will lead us again and again to consider aspects of life and of God's will that we might not otherwise choose to remember or to confront, let alone to embody in our living. Memorized in chunks, the psalms can provide ready response to the pressing realities of our days. When I have wakened in a panic in the darkness of the early morning hours, submerged in fear, self-pity, or self-doubt, the psalms have often provided the assurance that my anxieties are known by God, who enlightens my dark places. So I encourage you to make the psalms your constant companion. Keep a copy at hand. And keep their words in your mind and heart and on your lips as you meet the challenges of your days and nights. Good good suggestions from uh, Gerald Wilson. Hear God's word as recorded in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So ends the reading of God's word. As I mentioned, this psalm, the first psalm, is the gateway or the title page to all the rest of the psalms. Blessed is a word that occurs over and over here. Blessed can be translated happy. You could read it, happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Happiness interests us all. Jesus spoke of such in the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount when he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, and so forth. You would think after all this time of uh, human history that we would have mastered the art of happiness, but far be it from us. Newspapers show us that happiness is in short supply. Songwriters write about it frequently. Websites are devoted to it. Yesterday, I spent a while browsing (laughs) happiness.com all sorts of tips things to do list of eight ways to be happier sometimes people tend to think we're born happy and uh, naturally and that children therefore should always be happy but we know that is is not the case so we rub shoulders in the uh, shopping centers with those who are leaving happy hour but they're not happy Watch people in the airport waiting to go on that trip that they're looking to make them happy or watch them when they're coming back, and rarely will you see people who look very happy. The psalmist tells us where to find this happiness, and it isn't a fleeting-type laughter a uh, uh, feeling that everything is all right that just is here for a few moments based on some circumstance. He tells us right here where to find it in the first psalm. So what do we find here? We find descriptions. We find description of this blessed person, this, this person who experiences happiness in God's truest sense of the word, this man or woman. It's a very generic when it says blessed is the man, blessed is the person. First, he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. There are some negative things. Uh, he does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. In the Bible, the wicked is referring to the person who just leaves God out. It's not necessarily a... Uh, what we would call a bad person, a cruel person, a mean person, but just someone who leaves God out. Um, they approach life as though there, there is no God in practice. And the blessed person knows that he cannot walk in the counsel of the person who leaves God out because we will know that what shapes our thinking shapes our lives. And the wicked hold out promise like a carrot and it's always just a little bit out of our reach. If you just have this, if you just feel this, if you just look this way, if you just experience this, then you will be happy. And for some reason, it just it's always out of reach. And so if we choose to embrace the thinking, the counsel of the wicked, the thinking of the world, seeking for happiness in all the wrong places, we will not find it. Secondly, he does not stand in the way of sinners. Sinners refers, it builds on wickedness, the person who leaves God out. Sinners now becomes more openly rebellious. This person lives openly in their disobedience to God. Not only does he think differently, he behaves differently. And third, it says he does not sit in the seat of scoffers. Now, the scoffer is not only the person who leaves God out, chooses to disobey God... But as the Bible talks about the progression of sin, the scoffer is the one who then mocks at those who seek to follow the Lord. They mock at the things of God. They scoff at that. Now, there's a progression here. Notice that this person does not walk and then stand or sit. The picture is like a a window shopper. You're walking and you're looking in a window of a store. And so you're walking by and then you stop and you look at it, and then you go in, and you sit. You choose to reside there. You decide that that's where you will stay, in a permanent dwelling. Now, there's a principle all through the Bible. Proverbs puts it this way. He who walks with wise men will himself be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. I was told as a young Christian, and I don't remember who said it, But they said, you will never grow closer to God by choosing as your closest companions those who are moving away from him. You will never grow nearer to God by choosing as your closest companions those who are moving away from him. There could be a thousand different ways how to put that principle. But you better be careful about the crowd you hang with. Regardless of your age. Don't think this is all just for young people. It's for all ages. Do we isolate ourselves? Of course not. Do we just spend all of our time with Christians and have this little holy huddle? No, of course not. Uh, but if we're so absorbed in the world in the way of its thinkings, we lose our message. If we even have a message anymore. So Paul wrote to Timothy and he said, Pursue righteousness with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So there's this spiritual erosion that's going on here. Blessed is the man who does not walk, stand, sit, but, now here's a contrast, his delight, his joy is in the law of the Lord. And he meditates on it day and night. Now there's a big word, meditation. A very misunderstood word today. The literal meaning in the Old Testament, I remember this from Hebrew. You know, the old seminary, I got to know a little Greek, a little Hebrew. One had a sandwich shop, one had a laundromat. But in 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 Hebrew class, I remember we talked about the word meditate. It means to murmur, to murmur. In other words to speak to yourself, to talk to yourself. You ever talk to yourself? And and I talk to myself a lot. I talk to myself when I'm alone in the car. And I've been sitting at stoplights before talking to myself, and I'll realize what I'm doing. I kind of look around, see 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 if anybody's staring at me. But here's what it means, and I found a good example over Christmas. We gave our grandchildren a swing set. I've spent half my life putting together swing sets. And so my son-in-law and I are out the day after Christmas. We're putting the swing set together at their, in their backyard. And you get pages, pages in multiple languages of, of these directions. But even with all the pages, it's only about 10% of what you need to know to put this together. And so I'm over here going, okay, you take part A, and you take this long rod, part B, and I'm, stand- I'm talking to myself. I'm trying- and, and my son-in-law's over there with a hammer. I had a man approach me after the first service. He said, I've put together many swing sets in my life, but never with a hammer. Well, it got gotten a little frustrating by then. But that's talking to yourself. You see, I, okay, I'm doing this in scripture it would be to meditate on scripture a starting place would be like but his delight is in the law of the lord delight what do i delight in to delight in finds joy in that but in here it's the law of the lord not just any law but the law of the lord and on his law he meditates he thinks about it he talks to himself day and night just not in the morning just not in the evening not just one day a week but day and that's meditation you're talking to yourself It's, it's not complicated anyone can do it but it's, it's intentional. And the truth is, and, and no criticism to you teachers here, but uh, many of us have been taught how not to read. Uh, we were taught in a system that says, okay, your assignment for next week, you need to have 150 pages of this book read. You go back and they say, did you read it? Yes, I read it. And so we had skimmed through. But the best way to read is to read a paragraph Pause and at the end of that paragraph and see if you can state the central idea of that paragraph out loud in one sentence. And if you cannot, then go back and read the paragraph again. And then state the main idea in one sentence. Then move on to the next paragraph. We, we have to interact and with material truly to understand it. And to meditate means we literally are talking to ourselves about it. Okay, I must move on result of avoiding the negative and pursuing the positive, it says in verse 3 that the person who has done these things will be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. This life will be like a tree, but not any tree, not a dead tree, not a diseased tree, not a tree about to fall with the next strong wind. This is a, a tree being a picture of a stable, strong, vital life. And what makes this tree strong in this picture is its Where it's planted, it is by streams of water. And the water there is God's word, his law. And it yields its fruit in its season. The leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. Now, we don't believe or teach here at First Presbyterian Church what's referred to today as prosperity gospel, the prosperity gospel or the prosperity theology. Uh, There are churches, and one large one just moved a satellite Uh, location here within the past year. And essentially, prosperity uh, theology says that if you trust God, if you believe in him, then God's will for you is always to prosper and he wants you to be healthy and wealthy. Sometimes they'll add wise, but the emphasis is on healthy and wealthy. And that God's will for you is that in fact, no one stated it better than Jim Baker, who taught it for many years before he went to prison. And I have a copy of his, the book he wrote while he was in prison called I Was Wrong. And even though you young people may not know who Jim Baker was, I think you can appreciate these words. He said, for years I had embraced and espoused a gospel that some skeptics had branded as a prosperity gospel. I did not mind the label. On the contrary, I was proud of it. You're absolutely right, I would say to critics and friends alike. I preach it and I live it. I believe God wants to bless his people. Look at all the rich saints in the Old Testament. And the New Testament clearly says that above all, God wants us to prosper even as our souls prosper. I even got to the point where I was teaching people, don't pray to God saying your will be done when you're praying for health or wealth. You already know it is God's will for you to have those things. But when, he writes, when I began to study the scriptures in depth while in prison, I was very distressed at what I discovered. The more I studied the Bible, I had to admit that the prosperity message did not line up with the tenor of scripture. My heart was crushed to think that I led so many people astray. So we do not believe the Bible teaches prosperity gospel or prosperity theology, but it does preach or teach Prosperity or God's blessing on a life of following him. Jesus said, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or feels for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age and in the age to come eternal life. But we understand the main prospering of which he speaks is a life that will not be in vain. That your life will be fruitful. That your life will be nourishing and fruitful for others. That's how you will prosper. It's not, if you carry prosperity gospel to its, theology to its end, then every student should make straight A's always, a Christian student. Uh, You should always succeed in whatever you endeavor, business, uh, every, everything else. But we understand this does not mean you'll be famous or well-known or have a statue erected in your honor or a book written about you, but your life will be nourishing and fruitful for others. Now the contrast. The wicked are not so. Not so the wicked. In other words, everything that's been said about this other person that have this blessed man is delighted in the law of the Lord to be like a tree, planted, bearing fruit, and so forth, not so the, the wicked. All the themes that have been applied to the life of the, the righteous now do not apply. Now, if we look at this, if you were to leave right now and, and you do not, if, if, if you are, have not been around Christianity and you understand Christian themes, if you were to walk out of here right now, you might think, okay. Well, here's what I need to do. I need to not do these things, verses, verse 1, and then I need to read the Bible and I need to find delight in that and I need to talk to myself about it, day and night. And if I do that, then, then I'll be seen as good, a good guy in the eyes of the Lord and if I don't do that, I'll be seen as a guy with a black hat on and a bad guy in the eyes of the Lord. Well, if that was your only takeaway from this, then I've, I've not begun to deal with the passage. So we have to ask, where is Christ in this psalm? Where is Jesus Christ in this psalm? Well, he's in verses 5 and 6. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. How do we become righteous? By meditating on God's law day and night? no by not walking and standing and sitting in the places it described no all of us are born as sinners and we cannot wipe out we cannot do enough good things to wipe that guilty conscience and guilty standing before God that's where as we'll come to the Lord's table what this exemplifies is the work of Christ Jesus became a man He came and he lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He would not have had to do that confession that we did earlier in the service. He had no sins to confess. He said publicly, I always do those things that are pleasing to my father. Even at his arrest and trial, they had to pay all false witnesses to come up with accusations against him. Then he died on the cross, and as he died, he died as a substitute. And God placed my sin on him and punished him in my place. But not only in what we call the great transaction with my sin placed on him and punished in him, but his righteousness was applied to me. And so when you put your trust, when you put your confidence, when you put your faith in what Jesus and who he was and what he did, then you recognize he took the punishment I deserve. He died for me. But he gives me what the Bible calls his clothes of righteousness. That I am clothed like a robe with the righteous robes of Jesus. And so when God sees me now in Christ, he sees me as righteous. The only way we're righteous then is through Jesus. Don't read this and think the way I become righteous is by meditating on God's law day and night. No, those are fruits of a righteous life, of someone who has come to know Christ. So what are some applications? I find the key word in this whole psalm is delight. He delights in the law of the Lord. But you and I don't delight in things we do not know. And so to delight in God's word, you need to get to know God's word. You need to read about God, read about Christ from the scriptures. And as you do so, your delight will grow, which will will lead you to read more. The first of the year, I think, is a wonderful time to set all sorts of resolutions, but especially uh, spiritual disciplines or means of grace, whatever you want to call them. If you don't have a regular intake of the Word of God, whether you listen to it, whether you read it, whether you study it, you need to do that. And this is a good time to re-up for that. So I want to give you a couple of quick resources. One is a, is a monthly journal And I've got about, oh, 100 copies over there. Table Talk, put up by Ligonier Ministries. I know many of you use this already. Uh, I've been using it uh, off and on for the past two years. And each week, Monday through Friday, there's a reading. And you'll read through uh, a book of the Bible or maybe two books of the Bible that month. And there'll be articles about that. There's a little daily devotion It takes about 10 minutes. It's, it's one of a hundred different things you could use, but it's very accessible. So if you'll take one, if you're not familiar with that, uh, take one and use it for a month. They sent us a, some older copies, so the month won't be January 2012. But use it, and then if you, you can subscribe if you like. It's like $25 a year. The other two resources I want to show you is this study Bible also put out by Ligonier, R.C. Sproul is the general editor, and it's got the English Standard Version that we're using here in our church. And it's the Reformation Study Bible. A number of you have these. We've been giving these to our, our high school graduates for the past several years. But if you don't have a Study Bible, I highly recommend this one, especially for the, ref- the, the notes that go with the passages. But here's one more, and that is the ESV Study Bible. This has more resources than you can imagine. It's about 30 bucks on Amazon, $35. But the great thing about this is it comes with a card that's got a key on it that you for free then, you enter that key online and it introduces you to like an entire graduate school of notes to go along with the ESV study Bible. Then you can pay more to unlock different things. But some of you like to read staring at a computer screen. Some of you like a book in your hand. Uh, But I hope that whether it's something like this or any other help that that you have, commit yourself afresh. This is a great time to to read and seek God and learn to delight in his word more uh, in this coming year. Let's close in prayer. Our Father, we give you thanks and praise that we live in a time where your word is so accessible to us, probably more so than at any time in history. We dare not think that we can make ourselves right with you by meditating on your word, and yet we see that when we know we are in Christ and we delight in your word, it's like water there to a tree planted by it. So we pray that we would evaluate ourselves in effectiveness by your word and not by what the world sees around us. Help us to see where we are in this, whether we belong to you or whether we don't. That we might even come to trust in what Jesus did today. In Jesus' name, amen.